0: Thank you for tuning in to Cobblestone Community Church today. We hope this message blesses you. If you need prayer for anything, please email us at prayer at cobblestonechurch.com. Now here's the message. Over the last several weeks, Andrew and Jeremiah, they've, they've tackled some incredibly deep, challenging topics that, that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, and this week uh, is yet another one. You might, When we talk about it, you might not think, well, that's... That's really not that challenging, because we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 13, right? Love, how's that challenging? Well, I think, and I pray, that as I share what the Lord's put on my heart, that it does challenge us, that it does challenge where we're at, that we kind of survey this morning what does love look like? What does the love, the real love in 1 Corinthians 13, not not the the, the wedding scripture, you know, husband, wife, like all that's good, but I, I feel like the Lord's put on my heart to speak this morning of something deeper, something truly deeper. And most importantly, the reason I get a little emotional with it is because at the core of who I am, as a husband, As a father, as an elder in this church, I want to see every person that I know come to this realization of what real love is, what true love is, and how do we show it? How do we live it out? And I think in order to look at the truth of love this morning, we need to look at some of the falsehoods of it. And as I speak to the falsehoods this morning, I want to be very clear before I go into this that in addressing addressing the truth of falsehoods of love in our world today, I am not filled with judgment, narrow-mindedness, or anything of that sort. I feel that the Lord has put on my heart this morning to speak to the church a reset button, a clarification, a cleaning of what love is. I want to see every person that I have a direct encounter with have a full understanding of what it truly means to be loved and to love. I don't want my wife, my children, or this church to pursue or settle for anything less than the love of Christ that He has pursued us with that he loves us with, it sets us free, that heals our hurts, and it's worth everything in our lives. It's worth everything we have. That's the core of my heart. That's the core of my life. If you said, Tim, what makes you tick? What gets you up in the middle of the night and stirs your heart? It's this. And it's not just me. I'm thankful to be surrounded by a group of other men, of elders, that this is their heart. This stirs them. Andrew just shared a week or two weeks ago, whatever it was, that he gets up, you know, he's getting called up at three, four, five o'clock in the middle of the night. And what's he doing? He feels, he feels out of love that he has to pray. He carries the birds, he prays for the church, he prays for his family. My heart this morning is found in Paul's words in Ephesians 3. And I want to set the table with it this morning. Beginning in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I pray this morning that we will all be strengthened with power through His Spirit. That through faith, we can become more grounded in love. That we grow in the comprehension of really what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of His love. His love as it was, as it is, and forever will be. I pray that we can pause and examine our hearts and minds in the areas that we may have not surrendered fully to the love of Christ. For those of you that have seen me in the gym, you know that I like to get on a treadmill. And I put the same worship track on every single time. I'm a routine guy also. But there's a song in that worship set that I just, whoo, recently, it's just, I weep. I'm there on the treadmill and I weep. I'm there in the middle of Planet Fitness and I'm praising Jesus. I got my hand going and everything. And you know, if you see, if you think I'm waving out, yeah, that's fine, I'll wave back. But a lot of times I'm in my own world. And the heart, and the song that's just spoken in my heart recently with this particular thing is, it's a song called Heart Abandoned. Whew. Lord, I want to love with a heart abandoned. Gold and silver, you can have them. There's a part of that song that says, just like the walls of Jericho, break down those walls, right? Just like, break down, break down the walls that I put around my heart. I want to love with a heart abandoned. And my heart this morning that I felt heavy over the last couple of weeks as I prepared this message is that we may be filled with the fullness of God. Empty me of my selfishness, of my pursuits, of anything else, any other loves. And the reason that I feel so heavy this on my heart is because I believe this is heavy on his heart this morning. The importance of this is found in the very words of Jesus In Matthew 22, 34 through 40, he says, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus was asked, if you strip everything away, what's the greatest commandment in the law? Everything else aside, what do we need to focus on? And you see, you got to kind of look a little bit further back in Scripture. This is, this is the moment that anyone there that day, they would have been sitting on the edge of their seats waiting on that answer. Because they just heard Jesus' response to the Pharisees about paying taxes. And then to the Sadducees regarding resurrection. And it says in Matthew twenty-two thirty-three that when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. They were astonished, and it's at that moment, they're they're all in, ears all perked up. And it's at this time that the Pharisees pose that very question of what's the greatest? And Jesus answers by addressing the most important thing. And it's the very thing that had been missing. But Jesus says it's the top priority, and it's the heart. Jesus says it hangs on these two commandments. Rather than worrying about all that we should do or not do, We should concentrate on all we can do to show our love for God and others. Jesus wants to fully and completely receive his love for us. He wants us to receive that this morning, fully, completely. We're going to celebrate that this morning right here with with those being baptized. We're to celebrate that they are fully receiving the love of Christ, acknowledging who they are, who they were, who they are now. He clearly says, first things first. The second commandment is going to come from the first. It'll, It'll flow from the first. But in order for us to love others, we must first accept his love and love him back. It's the reason why this is the greatest commandment. Jesus also shares the importance of love in John 13. John 13, 34 through 35. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus shares further about true love in John 15, 12 through 17. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my Father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, and you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. God is love, but God is also holy. God is just. He cannot turn a blind eye to sin. He wouldn't be holy if He did. He has to deal with it. And He dealt with it. He dealt with it through His death. You see the difference between this kind of fluffy love that we're we're, we're so inundated with versus true love is true love sacrifices. And the greater the sacrifice, the greater the love. Verse 13, greater love, no one than this. that someone lay down his life for his friends. He sacrificed for our sins. He pursued us. Godly love doesn't wait. We were sinners lost and God sent his son. We're to love each other as Jesus loved us. He loved us enough to lay down his life for us. And it's in receiving his love fully that we can walk in it and that we're able to love that way. He wants us to. He wants us to fully in all ways, all areas, everything about us. That's the way that he defines love. And you know, the characteristics of love is we're, we're going to view in chapter 13 they're also seen in the fruits that the Holy Spirit produces in our lives. Galatians 5, through 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Love is patient. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit in us. Love is kind. Kindness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit in us. The Spirit produces these character traits that are found in the nature of Christ. They are the byproducts of Christ control. We must know Him, love Him, remember Him, and imitate Him. You see, love is more than just about our relationships, it's about us, it's about who we are as people and how we relate to God and even ourselves. I want to be clear, love is not easy. Love is not easy. Love wakes you at night to pray. Love love keeps you committed when times are tough. We're going to talk a little bit more about that later on, but love's not easy. And love is something that we do over time, day after day. We commit ourselves to love daily. We have to be intentional about loving. We have to be intentional about being loved. And it's absolutely essential for us to understand what true love is all about and how to live it out. I think Jesus makes that very, very clear. The problem is we've settled for a lesser type of love because we don't fully understand what true love is all about. And the problem is that our culture, we, we've, we've, we've been inundated with these type of false images of love. We have a broken image of what love is. We trivialize the meaning of love. We manipulate the meaning of love. There's confusion between love and lust. There's confusion of true love. We have this kind of hallmark defined version of love. And trust me, I buy hallmark cards, nothing is hallmark. But that's not what we're talking about this morning. You see, we get these false images. We We get these images of love either from our parents our past relationships, our friendships that we've been in, and maybe we've been hurt. We've not been loved well. We just start to associate that type of, well, that's, that's what love is. Others of us get these images from culture or even Hollywood. I can tell you it's disturbing. If you ever try and watch a late-night program on TV, just talking like, I'm talking like 8, 9, 10 o'clock. Tell me there's not false images of love that are just inundating you through the TV, through Netflix, through the movies, through everything. Have as many partners as you want. You don't like that one? Go get a new one. It's all about you. How's love serving you? We live in a world that, that throws slogans out there of love is love, love wins. And meant on the surface to be harmless. Right? Sounds good, right? Yeah. Love is love. Love wins. At the core, it means that we should be able to define how we want to love. We define it. Love is about what we want. And that's just on my heart as I sat before the Lord over the last couple of weeks. Whew, I, want to get, I want to get me out of the center. I want to get us out of the center. Because love is love suggests that love is self-defining. This self-defining concept of love is so damaging and so dangerous because it puts us squarely in the center. In Christ's version of it, Christ's definition, it's all over here. That's old. That's antiquated. We're so enlightened. We have figured out the real meaning of love. And church, if there's anything you hear me this morning say, please don't fall for that lie. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. His word stands true yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Love is defined here in truth and not out there. If you want to know, am I loving well? Don't compare yourself to those images. It's here. Am I loving well? It's here. Take yourself out of the center and put Him right back where He belongs. I want to be clear this morning that we all, as Christ followers, are called to love. Jesus just told us, love your neighbors as yourself. However, we cannot fall into the lie that if we disagree with the choices or behaviors of others and speak truth to them in love, that we are not loving them well. That's a lie. How many of us have ever chosen to love someone despite them making choices that we disagree with? That's hard. As a parent, a parent of teenagers, this concept rings true. This is true for myself. I love my kids deeply. I've shared this with John before. You ever see another side of me come out? Mess with my kids. And it shows up in all different kinds of places from Sam's Club to Soccer City to wherever. Like, those are my kids. I love them deeply. I love them for who they are. They have and they will at times continue to not make the right choices based on truth and how they were raised. Shocker. Sorry, kids, if that's a shock to everybody. I don't think it is. Because I was that way when my parents were raising me. I think all, almost all of us have been there. We make our own decisions, go our own way. We're going to prove that. We've got it all figured out. But at no time in my heart does that cause me to love them less? They can make wrong decisions. They can go a different direction. I don't love them any less because they're mine. And I love my kids deeply. But it's in my love for them that I continue to speak truth into their lives and over their decisions and their actions. It's because I love them that I pray for them. I pray continually for them. And so does Ginger. Thank the Lord for, for mothers that just hold tight and pray. And mothers, if you're praying for a child that just, that for years you don't see fruit, hold on. Hold on. That's love being walked out. I love them because of who they are. They are my children. God has entrusted them to me to raise them up, to shepherd them well. I love them and want what is best for them, which as I shared earlier, is to be filled with the fullness of Christ. That's my heart for my kids. That's my heart for my wife. That's my heart for this church. To know the love of Christ and to have that guide their choices, decisions in life, and to not settle or fall for anything less than that. To be fully satisfied in Him and Him alone. It does us really well to look at what's the most important thing. It's something that you need to choose to do. You see, love is a verb. It's a choice. Paul gives us a picture of love, one that not only gives us a new understanding of love, but also new ways to practice it. How Christians treat those both inside the church and outside the church. This was a prescription of how the body of Christ should be living out their faith together. You see, Corinth had a core problem in the fact that they did not understand the virtue of Christian love. Church, we can relate. This is seen in Paul's placement of this chapter right after chapter 12. Andrew talked about chapter 12 and the spiritual gifts last week. It also, Paul also talks about in chapter 12 about how the body of Christ is like a human body. In 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13, it says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews are Greek, slaves are free, and and we're all made to drink of one spirit. Right at the end of chapter 12 and verse 31, Paul transitions his teaching. He transitions his teaching on love. Now keep in mind, when when this letter was written, there weren't the nice chapter marks and everything. This transition, this was a free-flowing letter. So right at the end of 12 and right into 13, when Paul says, but earnestly desire desire the higher gifts, desire the spiritual gifts, that's good. And I will show you a still more excellent way. There's something more excellent to pursue. Spiritual gifts, yes, but something more excellent. He's going to talk about that better way. Andrew talked about it a little bit last week, but you see, those those in, in Corinth, they were elevating themselves. There was pride. They had a spirit of pride about them. But Paul says no spiritual gift is more important than others, just as no one body part is more important than others. Because the source is the same. And so is the value of the gift. It's not something that we should compare to other people because the source is the same and we should use them to put the focus back on him the motivation behind the gift must be love in 1 Corinthians 14:1 he says pursue love paul saying that you can have every single spiritual gift but if you don't have love it's worthless We're going to get into 1 Corinthians 13 now after all that. We're going to get into 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to kind of go through that. But under that lens, right, this is the seriousness of love. Beginning in verse 1, verses 1 through 3, it says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. This is one that just, verse 3, if I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, how about sacrifice, but have not love, I gain nothing. To put it in the context of the entire argument, those people who were worried about how superior they were because of their spiritual gifts, those people who just knew that life would be easier if everyone were like them, in the eyes of Paul, their real problem wasn't simply a lack of focus on God, it was a lack of love. And his message to them is that for a follower of Christ, love is the greatest thing that we can have and that we can show. In verse 1, if I speak in tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Noisy gongs and clanging cymbals are annoying if it continually repeats itself, right? I love the worship we have up here. David does a great job of making it sound good, and so do all the the worship team. But if we just had somebody up here with a gong and a cymbal, it'd get pretty annoying after a while. And any gift that is self-directed is a problem. As I read through this, it struck me that it's possible to exercise a gift that is divorced from love. But if that gift is exercised divorced from love, it leads to pride. And it builds our kingdom, puts us right back in the middle of it. A gift used like that doesn't build God's kingdom. Love makes our actions and our gifts useful. It's used to love others. It's used to love and give glory and honor to God. Paul continues then to give instruction, beginning in verse 4, of what love being lived out looks like. Love is patient and love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant. He begins with this passive and active description of love. Patience is the passive. It's what automatically happens when love is present. I got to tell you, by nature, I'm not a patient individual. But in this type of context, if I truly love my children and they're not making the right decisions, I'm going to be patient. Speak truth and love, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to give allowances for their faults and their weaknesses. When we love someone, it changes how we act towards them. The greater truth here is that if we live a life of love, this won't be just true of a few select. It's going to mark our lives. We will look different the way that we treat all people that we come encounter with, everyone around us. That includes the annoying person at work. And there are two types of kindness. There's kindness with our actions, but then there's also kindness with our words. First, kindness in our actions. The word Paul uses for kindness means to be benevolent to one another. In other words, show one another acts of loving kindness. It should be visible. It should be seen. It should be part of our actions. But second is kindness with our words. And our words have the power to build up or to power to tear down. And it hurts when words tear us down. Ooh, that hurts when someone you, you really care about can just tear you down with their words. We have the opportunity to speak words of encouragement over others. We need to look for the God-given gifts and graces. We need to look for their passions, what motivates them, what drives them, and praise them. That's one thing that I do for, for all my kids. If they do a good job, I'm right there along. I praise them. So much also with our Father. He rejoices. If you're having trouble looking at others with love, Begin to ask God to help you see what He sees in them. Change your lens. Because God loves others in ways that you don't. And you begin to love them as God loves them. Pray over them. Pray for them. So that they might have the power and protection of prayer. Your words have power. They have power to change someone's life and their future. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for the building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Paul then kind of begins to transition again. and He talks about what love is not. The things that Paul mentions love is not are connected to the very things that he's already been warning the church in Corinth to stop. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Let's break that down. He begins by saying love does not envy. I looked up the definition of envy. It is to desire to have a quality, possession, or other desirable attribute belonging to someone else. Envy is about desiring something for yourself. I want. I want that. I see what they have. I see how they act. I I, I want that. That's envy. But love is about putting others before yourself. Paul says it does not boast. In the original argument, Paul is saying to them that they don't have anything to boast about because everything comes from God. One of my favorite verses... It just spoke to my heart, so much so that I have it right there, if you ever see it. Not going to do that. <laughs> but Galatians 6, 14. But far be it for me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. You want to boast about something? Boast about what He's done. Boast about Him. Boast about His pursuit of you. Boast about the cross. You see, boasting is done to establish your position. But where there is love, there's no need to establish your position. Because you're already secure with those that you love and who love you back. That's the greatest thing about love. It's not earned, so you don't lose it. You don't work for it, you should work from it. I think that's just a truth that needs to resonate in people's lives this morning. It's not earned, so you don't lose it. So many times that that can be a stronghold. That can be a stronghold that you need to be set free from. That you've just done something, you just lost it. You've lost that love, of Christ. He can't love you. He doesn't know what you've done. That's a lie. The next thing that Paul tells us love is not is it's not arrogant. The implication is that in the face of their sin, they are proud. In fact, so proud that they don't think that they need to address their sin. If that's not encompassing of this world that we live in right now, I don't know what is. There's an arrogance. As I said earlier, we've we've become enlightened. We've figured this out. We now know what real love is. The problem is, rather than addressing our sin, we just want to redefine what's true and acceptable. We want to change the rules of the game. That's arrogance. That's prideful. And again, I'm not coming this morning with any any spirit of judgment because we've all been down that road. In arrogance, maybe we've turned away and said, I've got this. Let's not redefine what's true and acceptable. Let's address our sin, let's address our pride. And let's get back to what truth is. Next, love is not rude. What a better translation is, it does, not shame, it does not shamefully or disgracefully conduct itself. In other words, if you love someone, you won't do things that shame them or put them down. But in addition, when you live a life of love, you won't treat other people that way. You won't put them down. You won't shame them. Which brings us to the next term that Paul says love is not, it does not insist on its own way. This is the same term that he gave us in 1 Corinthians 10, 24, when he says, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. You know, there's nothing wrong in this world that can't be fixed if people just live with love. Real love. The issue is that the only way that people ever really learned love and how to live with love is that God is the source of love. And that's not always accepted or followed. Love is not irritable or resentful. That's similar to love is patient, but a little bit more pointed. It means that a person who lives with love is not easily provoked to anger. Hello, problem for Tim. I don't know about any of you all, but I can be quite irritable, even with those that I love, and not just irritable over the fact they're making wrong decisions, but I can, be, I can be a bit quick to anger, throw a harsh word, and let me tell you, parents, fathers, you want to show love when you fail there? Get low and look your kid in the eye and ask for forgiveness. That's love. Andrew talked about it last week, humble yourself. I'm not arrogant, I make mistakes. And i tell you, there's nothing more freeing when that child looks at you and goes, I forgive you. Because they love me for who I am. That's free. That's free. Love does not delight in wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. And if you can understand this clause, you come a long way towards understanding the part of the nature of God. So many people can't understand the gospel, can't understand Christianity because they don't get the meaning of this truth. They picture God as this judge up in the sky trying to determine if they're good enough. We're not good enough. And that's okay. Okay. God already knew that, and he sacrificed. He pursued. He offered the payment for our shortcomings. Why did he do that? Because he loves us. And that statement is true. True upon true upon true. God does not delight in the wrongdoing that we do, but he rejoices in the truth and the things that we do because of His character. And why does He do that? Because He loves us, and He wants that for us. After giving us that insight into the character of God, Paul tells us four things that love always does. Beginning at verse 7. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. And it endures all things remember earlier I said love is a choice every day every day the key word here that I want to highlight in that verse all love bears all things it believes all things it hopes all things and it endures all things I feel in my heart as I've been preparing this there were some areas that I can't say all existed. Maybe that's true for you this morning. Search my heart, Lord. Because see, this is where love can be difficult, is in the all. It's not, not so difficult that we can love in some, but it can be difficult to love in all. Because see, most of us, We've had some time in our lives that someone or something has slowed or stopped our ability to love well. It's been something that just kind of stops you in your tracks or somebody that just kind of comes in your life and you're like, I don't think I love them well. There goes the all. You see, it could be a hurt in which we really trusted someone and they abused that trust. It could be that we tried loving someone with everything we had only to be rejected and it not returned. It could be that we were the target of some hurtful and wrongful accusation. You see, it could be physical affliction. It could be the untimely loss of a loved one. Those moments where it just kind of hits you. When things happen that don't just make sense to us, we wish that would have never happened. We have a choice. And it's in those times that we have to allow the love of Christ to be our example and pursue that type of love. The type of love I'm talking about is in Luke 22, 41 through 42. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. These are so difficult for us to travel and we're not meant to travel through these moments alone. That's where we're at, church. We should be walking with each other. In these times, we lean not only in on Christ, but we should lean in on our brothers and sisters in Christ because it's hard to love through the nevertheless. Loving through nevertheless moments is tough. When you gotta sit there and you gotta posture yourself and say, not my will, but yours be done. It's hard to do but we need to love him through the nevertheless seasons because his love for us doesn't slow down or stop during those. Sometimes we we, we feel like maybe he's left us, he's abandoned us, he doesn't love us anymore. That's why this happened. And so we fall less and less in love with him. We need to love him through the nevertheless seasons. And we need to love others through the nevertheless seasons. When we've been hurt, when it's difficult to do, when it's impossible for us to do it on our own, we need to love others through those seasons. And if we have failed or are failing, we need to humbly acknowledge our failures, and he will forgive and he will restore because of his love. This morning as we kind of wrap up this portion of things, I'm going to go ahead and worship team, you can come up. Um, I'm going to have a couple of the prayer team members come forward as well, because I feel like where God's taking us at this moment, as I close, just with this portion before we celebrate baptisms and everything, I want us to take time to sit before the Lord and examine our hearts. This is between you and him this morning. Where are we at with loving him first? Have we put other pursuits, other loves in front of him? What drives our decisions? What, what, what is it in our lives? Are we loving him first? And if you say, no, I'm struggling with that. Talk to him this morning. He wants to hear your heart. But also, you can come up forward with prayer. We'd love to do nothing more than to pray with you. Pray with those things that are holding you back from loving him first. But then also, how are you doing with loving your neighbors as yourself? I really want you to ask the Lord, if I'm not loving one of my neighbors as myself, reveal that to me. And I want you to honestly put it in your phone, write it down, whatever. Write that name. Write that person. Write that situation that you've encountered that you're just like, I have not loved in all. And I want you to prayerfully put it before the Lord as to what he wants you to do with that. Because based on what we see this morning, he wants you to love them. Don't go rushing out and do it unless the Lord prompts you to do that, but really take time to pray. Put it before the Lord. But that's that's where I'm at this morning. That's where I just want to kind of put this. Where are you at with loving him first? Where are you at with loving your neighbors as yourself? And I want to read this passage. Then I'll pray and we'll have a worship song, but I just want you to get before the Lord and examine your hearts based on what love is this morning. I want to read 1 John 4, 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. If God has so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Father, I just have those words again. All. All of our minds, all of our hearts, all of our souls, but I would lay that right now in front of you and say, Lord, examine me. Am I loving with all? Deep-rooted, not romantic, feel good. Am I loving you with every inner part of my being? Everything that you knit me to be, am I loving you with all? If I'm not, Lord, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. And if I'm not loving others well, I'm not loving them as myself. I repent. I come humbly saying, Lord, I make mistakes. Oh, Lord, what I want more than anything is I want to be a reflection of your love. In every room I walk into, in every relationship that you put before me. In every area of the city you call me, in every area of the state that you call me, in every area of the country you call me, wherever you call me, Lord, I'll, may they know that I'm your disciple because of the way I love. I just want to be surrounded by that this morning. And if any of us have fallen into the lies that he doesn't love us, and he doesn't love me, he doesn't love you, oh, Lord, I, I, I just cast that out right now. May that stronghold be broken and never to be entered into again. May there be freedom in that. May we experience the perfect love that cast out all fear. May we relinquish control this morning. May we go all in this morning. May we love you deeper. Thank you for joining us today. If you need prayer for anything, you can email us at prayer at cobblestonechurch.com. Or you can go on our website at www.cobblestonechurch.com and submit it there. We'd love to pray for you. Have a great week and God bless.